Hey everyone, and welcome to Theonomony, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theonomony. So on today's episode, uh, I will actually be doing part three of what was originally supposed to be a two-part series. If you listened to the last couple episodes, and if you didn't, make sure you go and check those out. But if you did listen to the last two episodes, you know that they were going to be a two-part series on private property. The first one being what scripture has to say. And by the way, that episode was not exhaustive. I could probably do a 10-part series just on what scripture has to say on private property pretty easily. I tried to just hit a few examples in that one. And then the next one was more from some economic principles why we need a foundation in private property for all economic enterprise. And then I decided that I was going to make it a four-part series by reading the section on property, uh, chapter 5, from John Locke's Two Treatises of Government. And because that's quite a long section, that's quite a long chapter in his book, I'm going to be splitting it into part one this week and then part two next week. Uh, And for anyone worrying if I am breaking any kind of copyright law on this, general copyright law for books is the books become public domain 70 years, January 1st of 70 years after the death of the author, or if there were multiple authors, then whichever author died last 70 years in January after that author's death. Well, Two Treatises of Government was published in 1689, a year my Reformed Baptist listeners will remember quite easily. And so it's definitely been uh, more than 70 years since anyone who was alive in 1689 has died. Uh, So with that, you don't have to worry that I'm breaking any kind of law making this part of the episode. And so let's begin with chapter 5 of John Locke's Two Treatises of Government, chapter 5 of Property. Whether we consider natural reason, which tells us that men, being once born, have a right to their preservation, and consequently to meat and drink, and such other things as nature affords for their subsistence, or revelation, which gives us an account of those grants God made of the world to Adam, and to Noah, and his sons. It is very clear that God as King David says, Psalm 115:16, has given the earth to the children of men, given it to mankind in common. But this being supposed, it seems, to some a very great difficulty how anyone should ever come to have a property in anything. I would not content myself to answer that if it be a difficult to make out property upon a supposition that God gave the world to Adam and his posterity in common. It is impossible that any man but one universal monarch should have any property upon a supposition that God gave the world to Adam and his heirs and succession 
exclusive of all the rest of posterity. But I shall endeavor to show how men might come to have a property and several parts of that which God gave to humankind in common, and that without any express compact of all the commoners. God, who hath given the world to men in common, hath also given them reason to make use of it to the best advantage of life and convenience. The earth and all that is therein is given to men for the support and comfort of their being. And though all the fruits is natu- naturally produces and beasts it feeds belong to mankind in common, as they are produced by the spontaneous hand of nature, and nobody has originally a private dominion exclusive of the rest of mankind, in any of them, as they are thus in their natural state, yet being given for the use of men, there must of necessity be a means to appropriate them some way or other before they can be of any use or at all beneficial to any particular man. The fruit or venison which nourishes the wild Indian who knows no enclosure and is still a tenant in common must be his and so his, i.e. a part of him, that another can no longer have any right to it before it can do him any good for the support of his life. Though the earth and all inferior creatures be common to all men, yet every man has a property in his own person. This nobody has any right to but himself. The labor of his body and the work of his hands, we may say, are properly his. Whatsoever then he removes out of the state that nature hath provided and left it in, he hath mixed his labor with and joined to it something that is his own and thereby makes it his property. It being by him removed from the common state nature hath placed it in, it hath by this labor something annexed to it that excludes the common right of other men. For this labor being the unquestionable property of the laborer, no man but he can have a right to what that is once joined to, at least where there is enough, and as good, left in common for others. He that is nourished by the acorns he picked up under an oak, or the apples he gathered from the trees in the wood, has certainly appropriated them to himself. Nobody can deny, but the nourishment is his. I ask then, when did they begin to be his? When he digested? Or when he eat? Or when he boiled? Or when he brought them home? Or when he picked them up? And it is plain If the first gathering made them not his, nothing else could. That labor put a distinction between That added something to them more than nature, the common mother of all, had done, and so they became his private right. And will anyone say he had no right to those acorns or apples he thus appropriated because he had not the consent of all mankind to make them his? Was it robbery thus to assume to himself what belonged to all in common? If such a consent as that was necessary, man had starved, notwithstanding the plenty God had given him. We see in commons, which remains so by compact, that it is the taking any part of what is common and removing it out of the state nature leaves it in, which begins the property. 
without which the common is of no use. And the taking of this or that part does not depend on the express consent of all the commoners. Thus the grass my horse has bit, the turfs my servant has cut, and the ore I have digged in any place, where I have a right to them in common with others, become my property without the assignment or consent of any body. The labor that was mine, removing them out of that common state they were in, hath fixed my property in them. By making an explicit consent of every commoner necessary to any one's appropriating to himself, any part of what is given in common, children or servants could not cut the meat which their father or master had provided for them in common, without assigning to every one his peculiar part. Though the water running in the fountain be everyone's, yet who can doubt, but that in the pitcher is his only who drew it out? His labor hath taken it out of the hands of nature, where it was common, and belonged equally to all her children, and hath thereby appropriated it to himself. Thus, this law of reason makes the deer that Indians who hath killed it, it is allowed to be his goods, who hath bestowed his labor upon it, though before it was the common right of everyone. And amongst those who are counted the civilized part of mankind, who hath made and multiplied positive laws to determine property, this original law of nature, for the beginning of property, and what was common still takes place. And by virtue thereof, what fish anyone catches in the ocean, that great and still remaining common of mankind, or what ambergris anyone takes up here, is by the labor that removed it out of that common state nature left it in, made his property, who takes that pains about it. And even amongst us, the hare that anyone is hunting, is thought his who pursues her during the chase. For being a beast that is still looked upon as common, and no man's private possession, whoever has employed so much labor about any of that kind, as to find and pursue her, has thereby removed her from a property. It will perhaps be objected to this, that, if gathering the acorns, or other fruit of the earth, makes a right to them, then any one may engross as much as he will. To which I answer, not so. The same law of nature that does by this means give us property does also bound that property too. God hath given us richly all things. 1 Timothy 6.17 Is the voice of reason confirmed by inspiration? But how far has he given it to us? To enjoy. As much as any one can make use of any advantage of life before it spoils, so much he may by his labor fix a property in. Whatever is beyond this is more than his share and belongs to others. Nothing was made by God for man to spoil or destroy. And thus, considering the part of that provision the industry of one man could extend itself and engross it to the prejudice of others, especially keeping within the bounds, set by reason, of what might serve for his use. There could be then little room for quarrels or contentions about property so established. But the chief matter of property being now not the fruits of the earth, 
and the beasts that subsist on it, but the earth itself, as that which takes in, and carries with it all the rest. I think it is plain, that property in that too is acquired as the former. As much land as a man tills, plants, improves, cultivates, and can use the product of, so much is his property. He by his labor does, as it were, enclose it from the common. Nor will it invalidate his right to say everybody else has an equal title to it, and therefore he cannot appropriate, he cannot enclose, without the consent of all his fellow commoners, all mankind. God, when he gave the world in common to all mankind, commanded man also to labor, and the penury of his condition required it of him. God and his reason commanded him to subdue the earth, i.e., and prove it for the benefit of life, and therein lay out something upon it that was his own, his labor. He that, in obedience to the command of God, subdued, tilled, and sowed any part of it, thereby annexed to it something that was his property, which another had no title to, nor could, without injury, take from him. Nor was this appropriation of any parcel of land, by improving it, any prejudice to any other man, since there was still enough, and as good left, and more than yet unprovided could use. So that, in effect, there was never the less left for others because of his enclosure for himself. For he that leaves as much as another can make use of, does as good as take nothing at all. Nobody could think himself injured by the drinking of another man, though he took a good draught, who had a whole river of the same water left him to quench his thirst. And the case of land and water, where there is enough for both, is perfectly the same. God gave the world to men in common, but since he gave it them for their benefit, and the greatest conveniences of life they were capable to draw from it, it cannot be supposed he meant it should always remain common and uncultivated. He gave it to the use of the industrious and rational, and labor was to be his title to it, not to the fancy or covetousness of the quarrelsome and contentious. He that had as good left for his improvement, as was already taken up, needed not complain, ought not to meddle with what was already improved by another's labor. If he did, it is plain he desired the benefit of another's pains, which he had no right to, and not the ground which God had given him in common with others to labor on, and whereof there was as good left as that already possessed, and more than he knew what to do with, or his industry could reach to. It is true, in land that is common in England, or any other country, where there is plenty of people under government, who have money and commerce, no one can enclose or appropriate any part without the consent of all his fellow com commoners, because this is left common by compact, i.e. by the law of the land, which is not to be violated. And though it be common, in respect of some men, it is not so to all mankind, but is the joint property of this country, or this parish. Besides, the remainder, after such enclosure, 
would not be as good as the rest of the commoners, as the whole was when they could all make use of the whole. Whereas in the beginning and first peopling of the great common of the world, it was quite otherwise. The law man was under was rather for appropriating. God commanded, and his wants forced him to labor. That was his property, which could not be taken from him wherever he had fixed it. And hence subduing or cultivating the earth and having dominion, we see are joined together. The one gave title to the other, so that God, by commanding to subdue, gave authority so far to appropriate. And the condition of human life, which requires labor and materials to work on, necessarily introduces private possessions. The measure of property nature has well set by the extent of men's labors and the conveniences of life. No man's labor could subdue or appropriate all, nor could his enjoyment consume more than a small part, so that it was impossible for any man this way to entrench upon the right of another or acquire to himself a property to the prejudice of his neighbor, who would still have room for as good and as large a possession after the other had taken out his, as before it was appropriated. This measure did confine every man's possession to a very moderate proportion, and such as he might appropriate to himself, without injury to anybody, in the first ages of the world, when men were, in, were more in danger to be lost by wandering from their company, in the then vast wilderness of the earth, than to be straightened for want of room to plant in. And the same measures may be allowed still without prejudice to anybody, as full as the world seems, for supposing a man or family in the state they were at first peopling of the world by the children of Adam or Noah, let him plant in some inland, vacant places of America, we shall find that the possessions he could make himself upon the measure we have given would not be very large, nor even to this day prejudice the rest of mankind, or give them reason to complain, or think themselves injured by this man's encroachment, though the race of men now have spread themselves to all the corners of the world, and do infinitely exceed the small number was at the beginning. Nay, the extent of ground is of so little value, without labor, that I have heard it affirmed, that in Spain itself a man be permitted to plow, sow, and reap, without being disturbed, upon land he has no other title to, but only his making use of it. And on the contrary, the inhabitants think themselves beholden to him, who by his industry unneglected, and consequently waste land, has increased the stock of corn which they wanted. But be this as it will, which I lay no stress on, this I dare boldly affirm, that the same rule of property, viz., that every man should have as much as he can make use of, would hold still in the world, without straightening anybody, since there is land enough in the world to suffice double the inhabitants, had not the invention of money, and the tacit agreement of men to put a value on it, introduced, by consent, larger possessions, and a right to them, which, how it was done, I shall by and by show more at large. 
This is certain that in the beginning, before the desire of having more than man needed had altered the intrinsic value of things, which depends only by their usefulness to the life of man, or had agreed that a little piece of yellow metal, which would keep without wasting or decay, should be worth a great piece of flesh, or a whole heap of corn, though man had a right to appropriate by their labor, each one to himself as much of the things of nature as he could use, yet this could not be much, nor to the prejudice of others, where the same plenty was still left in those who would use the same industry. To which let me add, that he who appropriates land to himself by his labor does not lessen, but increase the common stock of all mankind. For the provisions serving to the support of human life, produced by one acre of enclosed and cultivated land, are, to speak much with, within compass, ten times more than those which are yielded by an acre of land of an equal richness lying waste and common. And therefore he that encloses land, and has a greater plenty of the conveniences of life from ten acres, than he could have from an hundred left to nature, may truly be said to give ninety acres to mankind, for his labor now supplies him with provisions out of ten acres, which were by the product of an hundred lying in common. I have here rated the improved land very low, and making its product but as ten to one, when it is much nearer an hundred to one. For I ask, whether in the wild woods and uncultivated waste of America, left in nature, without any improvement, tillage, or husbandry, a thousand acres yield the needy and wretched inhabitant as many conveniences of life, as ten acres equally fertile land do in Devonshire, where they are well cultivated. Before the appropriation of land, he who gathered as much of the wild fruit, killed, caught, or tamed, as many of the beasts as he could, he that so employed his pains about any of the spontaneous products of nature, as any way to alter them from the state which nature put them in, by placing any of his labor on them, did thereby acquire a propriety in them. But if they perished in his possession without their due use, if the fruits rotted, or the venison putrefied, before he could spend it, he offended the common law of nature, and was liable to be punished. He invaded his neighbor's share, for he had no right farther than his use called for any of them, and they might serve to afford him conveniences of life. The same measured governed the possessions of land too. Whatsoever he tilled and reaped, laid up and made use of, before it spoiled, that was his peculiar right. Whatsoever he enclosed, and could feed, and make use of, the cattle and product was also his. But if either the grass or his enclosure rotted on the ground, or the fruit of his planting perished without gathering and laying up, this part of the earth, notwithstanding his enclosure, was still to be looked on as waste, and might be the possession of any other. Thus at the beginning, Cain might take as much ground as he could till, and make it his own land, and yet leave enough to able sheep to feed on, a few acres would serve for both their possessions. But as families increased, and industry enlarged their stocks, their possessions enlarged with the need of them, but yet it was commonly without any fixed property in the ground they made use of, 
till they incorporated, settled themselves together, and built cities. And then, by consent, they came in time to set out the bounds of their distinct territories and agree on limits between them and their neighbors, and by laws within themselves, settled the properties of those of the same society. For we see that in that part of the world which they was first inhabited, and therefore like to be best peopled, even as low down as Abraham's time, they wandered with their flocks and their herds, which was their substance, freely up and down, and this Abraham did, in a country where he was a stranger. Once it is plain that at least a great part of the land lay in common, that the inhabitants valued it not, nor claimed property in any more than they made use of, but when there was not enough in the same place for their herds to feed together, they, by consent, as Abraham and Lot did, Genesis 13, verse 5, separated and enlarged their pasture, where it best liked them. And for the same reason Esau went from his father and his brother and planted in Mount Seir. Genesis 36, verse 6. So that is about halfway through the chapter on property. A disclaimer I should have given at the beginning. I'm just giving it now because I forgot at the beginning is that just because I think John Locke has a lot of great things to say about property and that he has a lot of good things to say in this chapter, like adding your labor to what is common to all mankind and that makes it your property because your labor is your property, uh, it doesn't mean I agree with everything that John Locke ever said. We live in a day where because you post a quote from someone on Facebook or Twitter or Gab or what have you or LinkedIn, that that means you agree with everything that person ever said. But that's just not true. I can post a good quote about someone that I vehemently disagree with on other things. So that being said, how much more should I enjoy what John Locke said when he did have many good things to say about personal property? And uh, that being said, I'm going to go ahead and close up this week's episode. So that was the first half of John Locke's chapter on private property from Two Treatises of Government. We will finish the second half, Lord willing, in next week's episode of Theonomony. So as we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace. Satisfies me Your love is sweet